Welcome to Base on Call Radio. My name is John. And my name is Mike. And we've got some really, really interesting news this week. Uh, Hugh Darvish has finally decided uh, what team he's going to play on this year. Uh, we're also going to talk about how that now is going to affect Jake Arrieta. Uh, we've also had some news with the signings of Todd Frazier and George Springer. And we have an update on the new Tampa Bay Rays stadium location. So we've got a full packed show for you this week. So why don't we dive right into the situation with the Cubs and Yu Darvish. So Yu Darvish has signed a six-year, $126 million contract, which does include incentives in which he could earn up to $150 million. Now, as the athlete, Ken Rosenthal over at The Athletic uh, reports, that these incentives are based on winning multiple Cy Young awards, which is an interesting incentive uh, laden part of the contract. Um, but this, I think, is a, is, it's a good signing. Uh, six years, I think, is, in my opinion, is, is probably pretty good for the pedigree of pitcher that you Darvish is. Um, I, I think this is a really good move for the Cubs. Uh, I think it's probably actually a better move than if they were to have re-signed Jake Arrieta outright. So I think this is actually an improvement for the Cubs' overall starting rotation. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this signing by the Cubs, Mike? I think that it was pretty much necessary for the Cubs. I think they were really lacking one last starter to add. Uh, they did add Tyler Chatwood as a back-end rotation start, but I don't think that he's going to be enough if the, the Cubs are actually planning on contending, uh, especially being World Series favorites. So I think that this was a good move for them. Yeah, and you know, you uh, Darvish now rounds out a, a really nice and pretty formidable rotation. You got you Darvish, Jose Quintana, John Lester, Kyle Hendricks, and as you mentioned, uh, Tyler Chatwood. And, uh, and you know, we've seen from Quintana, Lester, and Kendricks that they can be absolutely dominating at times. And if you Darvish can have a bit of a bounce back year from what he had this year with both Texas and the Dodgers. I think that that's going, that could be a very, very scary rotation, especially going into the playoffs. I agree as well. And I think that it, it's more of an addition by subtraction kind of a way, because I think that Jake Arrieta was due for a kind a regression to the mean season. And I think that moving that contract off of the Cubs rotation and adding you Darvish, who is a much more solid, more consistent pitcher that you don't have to worry about as much as Arietta. Yes, yes, I, I would agree that this is a, it's a much better option uh, for the Cubs moving forward. Um, now, one of the questions, since they have made this move to really round out that rotation, do you think the Cubs need to make any more moves to make that team even more complete for a playoff run? I actually don't think that adding any more pieces would really do too much because it one of the, the things that the Cubs really rely on, especially over the course of the last two postseasons, is not only their depth, but also their youth. And adding any more veterans to that mix won't really produce any more stability, especially when you have most of that rotation being taken by a number of veterans already. Mm. Yes. Um, though I might disagree with you in the area of their outfield situation, I think that they could look into getting another starter because I think that's probably the one area that they are they, they do seem to be thin in um, other than a, a couple of good starters and they've got a they've got a few nice backup 
uh, guys, but I think that they could really use one really good starter in that outfield to help with offense and defense. Well, I believe that Kyle Schwarber is going to be making the permanent move to left field. And he has, through some rumors, lost a ton of weight. So uh, that should help him, especially if his bat still stays the same that it was pre-injury during uh, 2015. Yeah, yeah, that that that's uh, that that would be good. Um, I, I know his defense is a little questionable, so that that's for me something of a bit of a concern. Uh, plus the, the the offense, I know he's got the power and he he can get some walks, but that batting average was just really down at the almost at the, under the Mendoza line last year. He only hit two eleven, so I, I think he really needs to put make, uh, take some real advancements in his uh, offensive approach as well as his uh, his defense but i think it probably if he makes more strides in his offensive game maybe that will make up for his defensive liabilities i honestly think that we shouldn't be worrying about that too much i think that 2016 was more of an aberration than really means of the average for kyle schwarber's career i think he has shown that he has a lot of really good power he has a very high batting average when he is healthy so I don't think that we really need to worry about that too much. However, speaking of another player who might have to worry about that is going to be Jake Arrieta. And I'm not sure if you noticed, but there has been signs that the Cubs have issued that currently in the 26-17 season, Jake Arrieta's fastball has dropped from a 94.3 average to a 92.6 average. And he's primarily a fastball rate pitcher. So I think that really is what played a lot into the Cubs being kind of wary as to signing him again. Yeah, and, and that's I mean that and that's a huge drop um, to drop two full uh, miles per hour in your fastball. I mean that that's huge in one season and very concerning, especially for a guy who has only been the last few years just absolutely dominated and kind of in in some ways come out of nowhere as an elite number one starting pitcher. And to really just talk about how high that ceiling was for him, he went from absolutely nobody as part of the Orioles rotation to all of a sudden being a Cy Young candidate. And I think you can pin a lot of that just to his improved delivery, to just having a different approach and really more relying on that fastball when he got to Chicago. But I think that's going to be the thing that's going to be really difficult for him now, especially with the fastball usage rate of close to almost 70%. Yeah, he, he's going to have to learn and figure out how to pitch differently with that drop in velocity. In, in velocity, um, maybe he needs to start talking to um, the, the the guy in Arizona. Um, he's his name is escaping me right now. He's their ace, Granky. No, yes, Granky. He might need to start. Um, Maybe taking a little bit of out of Granky's uh, playbook and really learning more how to pitch to different parts of the strike zone and not relying so heavily on that fastball and his velocity. I guess that's one way to go about it, but I also think that wherever he ends up will be a huge factor as well. And I think that I personally would like to see him go to a Cubs rival here in Milwaukee as they currently are losing. They don't actually have a solidified ace at the moment. And they definitely have the payroll to pay for it. So I, I think that Jake Arrieta would probably do well in the same division, but not necessarily back with the Cubs. 
Yeah, yeah, and, and that would actually be really, really good for uh, maybe a bit of a rivalry between the Cubs and the Brewers is if Jake Arrieta were to sign with them. And that would be perfect because the Brewers do need an ace. Because, like you said, they don't have anybody. They have a lot of, I think, really good young starting pitching, but they do need that leadership and that one guy that they can look to every fifth day to give them that almost guaranteed win. I mean, Zach Davies last year had a very convincing almost all-star year and i think that they have a lot of depth in that rotation but as like you said you just need just one guy that you could count on and i think jake arietta still has the he still has the skills to still be that guy for at least the next two two to three years yeah yeah and yeah he, he's, he's definitely going to be a dominant number one starter for a number of more years it's just a question i think of how how long is that elite status going to last and moving on to uh, Todd Frazier signing across town to the New York Mets instead of resigning with the New York Yankees. I didn't see this one coming. I had the New York Yankees definitely pegged to have signed him, especially for the amount of money that they shelled out, only $17 million over two years for Todd Frazier. I think that's really a bargain if you think about a lot of what the other players in this free agency are asking for. So it's really it's a good move for the Mets, but I also didn't really see this coming at all. Yeah, it did kind of come out of nowhere. But I think it is kind of showing a sign of maybe things to come for other free agents in that they're going to have to take a bit of a discount maybe or take much shorter. Maybe many of them will have to take one-year contracts uh, just because teams aren't biting and they're not signing guys. I mean, so far the longest contract we've seen is the U Darvish six-year deal, and that's about as big a deal as we've had all season. We have heard rumors that I believe it's a five-year deal for J.D. Martinez being the other big free agent signing there out of Boston, but that deal actually is still too low from the Martinez camp. So I don't think that he will be signing there. And I think he only has one other offer from the Diamondbacks, which is a much shorter deal. So I agree with you. I think that one of those small two, one to two-year deals, I think, is probably where most of the free agents are going to be moving to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, it, mentioning uh, how cheaply that they were able to get Todd Frazier, um, just some some really interesting stats that he was able to produce this year, which I think if he's able to replicate these, will really make this contract look really, really good by the end of two years. Um, so, for instance, his walk rate was up to 14.4%, which was the sixth best amongst qualified hitters, and that was a career high for him. He also had a, a strikeout rate that was down to 21.7%, almost uh, not quite his career low, but very close. It was, I believe, the second lowest of his career. And he also cut down his uh, zone swing rate, or out of zone swing rate, sorry, to 24.5%, and an overall career low swing rate at 58.6%. So I think the numbers, surpri surprisingly enough, in, a, in an age 31 season, are actually his plate discipline is showing a lot of improvement, which I think will be something that the Mets will really appreciate and I think that they desperately need. I think if they also add a little bit more free agent pitching to that rotation, who's often injured as well, I think that's really what the New York Mets are going to need to, in order to go back into contention. But Todd Frazier is a good start. I will say this almost out of sarcasm is that I guess the, all of those hometown player stats about Todd Frazier are definitely not going to be stopping now 
No, probably not. Yeah, all those <laughs> stories about him playing in the Little League World Series and meeting Derek Jeter, I'm pretty sure won't be stopped just because he moved across town. No, no. They, they, they might intensify because he's moved across town. Yeah, I think that's closer to New Jersey, I think. Yeah. yeah I think the it, Mets are closer is. to New Jersey. I think so. I, I, I don't quite remember. Actually. Well, a little bit more kind of trivial news here. And it's something that I'm sure all of you who have played the MLB show game will be very excited to know is that they have finally added Babe Ruth to the MLB 18 version. And he will be available to be played as part of the historic players list. And I think I, for one, am pretty excited to pick that up. Yeah, I am too. I, I'm actually surprised that it's taken so long to add him, <laughs> frankly. It, it seems kind of strange. I think that, he's one uh, of the few holdouts, I think, believing... I, I think his estate wouldn't allow them to have the rights until now, is mm. what I've heard. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. But, I, I mean, I, that's that's essentially like having an, a 2K, NBA 2K game without Michael Jordan for, like, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would be... It is really strange. But, uh, you know, I'm glad that they were finally able to get him and, and include him. It's it's going to be really fun playing that game now. <laughs> I really hope that this means that they finally included historical rosters instead of just having the 30 teams like every other sports game usually does. I think with the sport like baseball, being able to play a lot of those old-timey teams really gives a lot of context as to how good those teams really were. And I mean, we're, we're talking about baseball here. Like most of everything that we do has some tie into history. And I think that being able to play the murderer's row versus like the 2017 Yankees, I think that'd be something that a lot of players would like to do. Yeah, yeah, I think it 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 would be really really great, um, especially because you could then market the game to each individual fan base that has different really historical teams. I mean, yeah, the Yankees, the different the, the great teams that they've had over the years, you probably market that almost anywhere. Um, maybe even some of the Boston Boston Red Sox teams as well. But I mean, like the big red machine from like the seventies and eighties, you that could definitely really market fun. that. Like, who wouldn't want to play? Pete, as Pete Rose and a lot of those other really good players, or even maybe the uh, the nineteen seventies uh, Pirates, like just some of those really great teams. I think they have a lot of uh, really good opportunity there. The one that I'm really interested in seeing, and hopefully somebody does, is the two thousand and one Seattle Mariners team with A Rod and Ichiro and all Ooh. and Randy Johnson. I think being, I, I mean, they obviously didn't make the World Series that year in real life, but I'm sure that that'd be a really fun roster to play in a video game at least. Oh yeah, no that that would be really really exciting to play. Um, so you know, hope, hopefully that they they will do that at some point. Maybe we'll have to send them a, a an email suggestion <laughs> about it. But uh, you know, moving on to uh, another quick little piece of news, uh, George Springer has signed a two year extension with the Astros, worth uh, twenty four million dollars which uh, essentially buys out his next two arbitration years. And considering that he signed an extension for two years, I'm in some ways kind of surprised that they were able to get him so cheap. I, I thought maybe he would have been able to ask for a bit more, especially considering the humongous breakout year that he had throughout the regular season, but also throughout the playoffs. Um, so uh, what, are, what are your impressions of this extension? I think that this is more of a goodwill signing than anything else. I think that obviously 
the reason why that number is significantly lower than what he would get for free agency is that the Astros only extended him for two years during his arbitration, which means that he probably would have only gotten somewhere between 10 to 14 million on average anyway. And what the Astros are basically trying to do with George Springer is merely just saying that like, hey, we really value you, but we're not going to overpay you obviously $20 million a year because we still need that cap space in order to contend for another World Series. But we will give you, you know, 12 million a year so we can avoid the the whole arbitration lawsuits and really just tell you that you know you you mean a lot to this squad and we're willing enough to pay you that much as kind of a sign of goodwill yeah yeah you know you you might be you might you might have hit the nail right on the head there and that that's probably what this is um because I mean, yeah, it, uh, just, it just seems too cheap in my in my mind I, mean, I don't I don't necessarily think he could get 20 million a year quite yet but um just seems a little cheap on my, uh, for my taste. I mean, Chris Bryant during his arbitration year only got like maybe fourteen million, and that was after an MVP season. So yeah. I don't think that George Springer would command that much at, in any arbitration lawsuit anyway. So I, I think that this is a good price for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I think it probably is. Um, now, we, if anybody's been paying attention to what's been going on with the Rays lately, they have. I'm presumably I've heard that they have selected a new stadium and that they will actually be moving to Tampa instead of uh, residing in St. Petersburg. So they have selected a new site for, or I should say neighborhood. They haven't selected an exact site yet for the stadium to be built. It's in the neighborhood called Ybor City, and it's kind of near the wharf area. There's actually a, if you really want to, look into the the map of where it's located uh d-ray's bay site has a map where you can see exactly where the park is going to be uh or the the area in which inside your city where the park is going to be located um now this the reason why they picked this location actually they've cited that it's going to be really convenient for fans from all over to get to the park uh, including trying to get more fans from orlando and trying to get that market into the city and actually come to see games. Uh, now the proposed size of the park is going to be about 14 acres, which is actually going to be comparable to PNC Park. So it's going to be uh, one of the smaller park, baseball parks in baseball. Not quite the smallest, but pretty close. I believe Wrigley Field and I think maybe even Fenway Park are going to be uh, smaller than that. Uh, but the groundbreaking will take place in 2020 and the full move they have said will take place between about 2022 and 2023. So this is really, really exciting time, I think, to be a race fan. Looking forward to the whole new digs for the entire club. I'm extremely happy for any Tampa Bay race fans that always wanted to go to games but weren't able to do it because of traffic reasons. I heard that that's actually a huge part of why the Tampa Bay race almost ended up close to last, if not last, in home ballpark attendance, not because that the Tampa Bay Rays don't have enough fans. It's more like it's very hard to get to that stadium out in St. Petersburg, especially during rush hour traffic, because I believe I've heard online that it's only a one way bridge and there's only one way in and one way out. And getting in and out of the game is is even worse than being an L.A. Dodgers fan. And it, <laughs> it can be a, a hassle to get there, which is why the stadium's usually empty if you're not a retiree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think 
uh, the D-Rays Bay site noted that they get an average of a little over 15,000 fans a game, which, I mean, that's half a stadium on average. I mean, that that's really terrible attendance, and it's it's a shame for such a good team. And that, again, that ballpark is in a dome, which obviously no one's a fan of anywhere. It's, it's a very bleak environment. Balls get lost in lights a lot. And unless you're, you're Bryce Harper, who apparently broke one of the lights as a kid during a home run, oh, which was probably the only memorable part about the geography or the construction of that dome, as I would like to say, is that's pretty much the only benefit is occasionally you can hit a moonshot that will bust the roof or knock out a light or two. Well, that that definitely would be memorable, and I think probably a lot of fans appreciated the uh, the breaking of the light. Something to remember that stadium by as it as it fades off into the just distance. just don't build domes that can't be open. <laughs> Baseball isn't uh, meant to be played in a dome unless you're oh, Canada. No, no, it's not. Um, but actually, there, there is another actual little interesting tidbit to go along. It, it doesn't really have to do anything with the stadium, but it does have to do with the twentieth uh, anniversary celebration of a team. Now, I know that this is the 21st season that the Rays will be playing, which does seem a little odd to be celebrating your 20th anniversary a year later. Um, but they, they've got their whole explanation that because we always celebrate our birthdays, I guess, at the end of the day or not towards the beginning. It, it was really an odd justification. But, to say the least. Yeah, it, it was almost just like some sort of a, a weird excuse for not being on top of things the year before. But I, I digress. Um, anyways, so they are going to be using a 20th anniversary logo on their uniforms and other related um, gear and marketing materials and things like that. Uh, they'll also be re uh, releasing uh, merchandise, uh, such as hats and shirts, which will involve using the um, old Rays. Uh, oh, I actual... this, yes. Yeah, so that the, they the will The Devil be, Rays. Uh, Yes, the Devil Rays. Yeah, so it's going to be a a little. They're going to have a, a little bit of a throwback element to those early, early days. Uh, it's not going to be like a complete throwback jersey uh, and go full on retro, but it, it's kind of a, a little bit of a mixture of old and new, which I think. And I've seen some of the merchandise online. It, it looks really nice, so I, I'm excited to see uh, them roll all this out. And then to top that all off, they also have a sandwich <laughs> for the 20th anniversary called the Reuben Cuban. And it is it involves it's a Reuben sandwich with hot dog with a I believe it's cut up hot dogs inside the sandwich as well. That um, they have released a statement saying that it is deemed officially healthy, which I think is <laughs> the funniest thing ever. Because if you look at the sandwich, it's not even close. It's probably going to clog up all your arteries, and anybody who has heart disease will probably die in their seat while enjoying a Reuben Cuban. Well, I'm sure that it's nothing compared to the. Uh... I believe it's called the D-Bat dog, the three-foot-tall corn dog that they have in uh, Chase Field. Oh, my goodness. No, that that, probably, that sounds like it's, a, it's a, a lot worse. But I was really hoping that when you said a Reuben Cuban, it was a mixture between a Reuben sandwich and a Cubano, which sounds amazing right about now. But oh, uh, if that's not it, and it's just a cut-up hot dog with some you know sauerkraut and some Thousand Island dressing, then uh, I can probably skip that one. Yeah, I... but but back to the uniforms. I think the uniforms going back to a little bit to the retros would be very cool. 
I really like the color scheme that they had back then. And uh, it, it's also really weird that they dropped the devil just for religious reasons, I believe. That's why they stopped calling themselves the Devil Rays and went with the sunshine instead. Correct me if I'm wrong. That is the official reason, right? You know that I am not sure of. I, I, I've, I have not heard that explanation before. I've heard I, rumors that they couldn't go with the, the ray as, a, as the animal ray because somebody had an objection to the, the word devil in it. So they dropped devil from it and they, they just used rays. And then they realized that that could be confused with sun rays and they just went with sun rays instead. That's why now you have the, the little diamond of light that they have as their logo now. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you know, that's, that's kind of a shame because I actually liked the, the, the Stingray that they had. Yeah, it's a cool thing. Logo. It's That's such a cool logo. And then now they just have like yeah. it's like a generic little star that's going on in their uniform that's nowhere oh, near as intimidating. Yeah, no, it's it's just a little twinkle. Yeah. Uh, on the, <clears throat> on the, excuse me, on the, uh, the large R that they have. So it, it's, in my, in my, in, in my opinion, it's, it's a huge missed opportunity that they threw away. And I was also really hoping that when you said that they were unleashing a new sandwich, that it wouldn't be a, a Ray sandwich, just fried <laughs> devil rays. Cause oh, I'm that. not sure that it would pass PETA in, in any way shape or form and i'm highly doubt that's environmentally friendly to be eating those things oh I, i'm sure environmentalists would have been up in arms if they had known that they were actually serving up fried ray sandwiches yeah it does make me curious what they taste like and i've had one would make a great sandwich oh really well they're do, not do it's, they it's like, like a chicken? cousin it's a cousin of of a devil ray it's it just tastes like flounder hmm. there's just a large bony fish so i mean they all taste about the same but they're, they're not exactly the most populous thing, especially the large mm. ones. So I highly doubt that there's enough in the ocean for you to be selling them at baseball games. Yeah, no, no, no. They're probably not unless they far- somehow uh, start farm fishing them. But who knows whether or not they would be a- even able to do that. Anyway, back to baseball in general here and not on our little food tangent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Pittsburgh is actually having a little bit of stadium news as well, and uh, this will be our last story before we close for the night with our fun fact, is that Pittsburgh is actually in uh, a bit of a dispute with the city of Pittsburgh uh, involving reparations for upgrading their stadium. So they have a deal with the city of Pittsburgh in that whenever they renovate the park, part of that money will be sponsored by the city of itself to kind of cut some of the costs that it costs for maybe upkeep. And I believe in one particular instance was the replacing of certain seats. So the they, they had an agreement where I believe the city was obligated to pay somewhere between three to five million dollars over the course of five years for upkeep. And right now that the city is currently suing the the pirates and vice versa over the dispute that a few of the upkeep things that they did to change in the park were actually not necessary at all. For example, there was a, a number of seats that were taken out and then replaced with new seats, not because the old seats were in disrepair, but because they wanted to just jam more people into the seats in order to sell more tickets. And obviously, if you're the city, you wouldn't want to just be paying for something that was not necessary at all. So there is a little bit of a stadium dispute there in Pittsburgh right now. Hmm. That's a, a really interesting arrangement that they have. I think I've ever heard of that kind of an arrangement between a, a city and a ballpark like that before. Um, so 
so just to get it straight, they are really only on they, they really only foot the bill for necessary changes to the ballpark. Yeah, necessary upkeep and you know things such as like repairs to like broken plumbing, for example. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. That is interesting because I would have thought that that would just fall on the ballpark and the club altogether, and the city wouldn't have anything to do with that. It normally does, but I believe that when they struck the agreement for the new ballpark, I think that somewhere in there was language involving more community kind of involvement, I guess. I mean, this is a purely just case-by-case -case basis, I believe. It's it's not very common that that would happen with a lot of the other ballparks in the areas. Hmm. Well, that is very interesting. Very interesting indeed. So, well, we have come uh, towards the end of our show, uh, but before we say goodbye, I do have an interesting baseball fact uh, from the year 1996, and I think you'll you, you'll definitely find this a little bit interesting because it it involves the Mariners. Uh, so, uh, like I said, in 1996, Ken Griffey Jr. and A. Rod challenged the Mariners' Single A affiliate to a home run derby in a promo event that they were doing for the club. So during this home run derby, they both lost to the Single A challenger. Now, you know who this major league, he, he eventually did graduate to the major leagues, and he very recently retired. Can you guess who he is? Is Frank Thomas? No, no, no. Uh, I'll, I'll give you another guess. I, 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 I will give you a hint. He played for an East Coast team. He never played for the Mariners. No, no, never played for the so Mariners. So he was a prospect that got traded, is what you're saying? Yes. Oh, that's hard. What year did he retire? He retired two years ago. Two years ago. It's not A-Rod, is it? No, nope. A-Rod played for Seattle. No, no. <laughs> he, he was the one of the Seattle challengers. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't have it. It's David Ortiz. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember this. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. on uh, Reddit uh, Baseball, they've, I, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but they've uh, been showing this, this very short 30-second to a minute video of this home run derby. And if you watch David Ortiz as a very, very, very young guy, he's hitting absolute bombs out of this ballpark. And Ken Griffey Jr. and A-Rod are just standing there with their mouths open, and they're like... Like, how are we losing to this guy? He's a monster. They, 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 it's just, I mean, they're, they're just completely embarrassed. So I have two things to add to that little fact there. One is, I believe at that time he didn't go by David Ortiz. I think his name, he went by David Arias, I believe. And he didn't change it to Ortiz until halfway through his career, back when, when he was famous. And he decided that maybe he should go by a different name. And two, if I was A-Rod, I'd be very, very sour because for ever since whenever he was traded to the New York Yankees, he had to see that same exact player hit home runs against him for the better half of maybe, if not even an entire decade. Yes, yes. They would eventually become chief rivals in uh, the biggest rivalry in baseball. I mean, it just, it's, it's so ironic that that's where it started. If I was A-Rod, I would have just told somebody, why did we not sign him? <laughs> Wherever he went, why didn't they just... <laughs> So remember like 10 years ago when uh, there was that one rookie that just absolutely hit bombs against me and Ken Griffey? 
maybe we should sign that guy? Yeah, you know, I mean, he might he, he might make a good designated hitter at some point. You, you know. Just so I never have to face him in any sort of baseball <laughs> contest ever again. Oh, that would have been... Wow, that, that would have definitely changed uh, the history of baseball. I'm sure A-Rod would have much more than just one ring but if that had happened. Oh, oh, probably. Probably. Derek Jeter would have thanked him quite a bit, too. Yeah. And Mark Teixeira wouldn't but... have that job, but, you know, that's another story. Uh, but, yeah, that... Those might still have him. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, but we have come to this week's end of the show, and uh, we're, we're going to keep looking out uh, for more news That's and even look out for rumors that are just going to be continuously coming up over the next few weeks as spring training will be getting started really soon. Yeah, I believe pitchers and catchers will be reporting in some time in between a week or two, so that will be the end of the offseason, hopefully. Yeah, and I'm I'm really hoping within by the time that that starts, we'll see a lot more players sign. So we'll have a lot more to talk about, and hopefully there'll be a lot more shakeup in the divisions and with all these new additions. Here's hoping. Yeah, here's hoping. All right, but, uh, this is us signing up. Yep, we will see you next week.